Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Brew Bar. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome, everyone, to the Everything Sequel Podcast. My name is Michael Schantz. I am from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me in today's podcast, as always, Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. But fish. <laughs> that's what you went with? Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's great. But fish. But fish. It's an actual line in this movie that Miyagi says. You, yeah, I was gonna say, uh, you, Tom might 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 not have picked a line you recognize, but that line is from The Karate Kid Part Three, a 1989 film, again directed by John G. Avildsen. This is Tom's favorite movie in the series. Not only that, he thinks this is a good movie. Holy fucking shit, get prepared to defend yourself. All right. (laughs) I didn't say it was a perfect movie. (laughs) You said there's enough right for this movie to be declared good. Yeah, as in like, you know. As in so good it's bad? No, 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 no. no. I I did say that the, the, the things... That are bad about it are so deli- are deliciously bad, but no, this is nowhere near. So uh, this has this film has some uh, serious flaws that uh, you can't ironize. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's just yeah, I I I I like it as a sequel. I've said this before. I like it as a sequel. And I think it's a perfectly acceptable movie, so I'm willing to call it a good movie. But still, I mean, you know, it's like narrow majority, um, you know, enough to win an American presidency, but no more than that. <laughs> so what you're saying is Karate Kid 2 won the popular vote, but this piece no. of shit <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what in 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 this electoral analogy. I don't know what Karate Kid Two is. Probably Jeb Bush or something. Or, uh... How dare you? <laughs> like How fucking dare you? Listen, <laughs> we started the last podcast by me telling you that forty five percent of of reviewers liked Karate Kid Part Two on Rotten Tomatoes, only 15% for this movie. We talked about the money it made. This movie made $38.9 million in the USA and the world on a budget of $12.5 million, as opposed to Karate Kid 2, which went well over $115 million. You know who also hates this movie? Uh... Ralph Macchio yeah. and John G. Avildsen. <laughs> you are all alone. What? Why? Nobody <laughs> likes this fucking movie because it's a piece of shit. But they both think it's the worst in the series. It made him stop wanting to direct it, make him stop wanting to be in them. Hmm. Everyone hates this movie except you, Tom. The floor is yours. Okay. Um, where, where are we where going to start? Um... <laughs> well, let's start with the doubling down of showing... Uh, Scenes from the previous movie. Right. Okay. And I don't even think it shows anything from Karate Kid 2, does it? It just shows from the first movie. Uh, it shows... And it, you're, you're almost right. It shows... Uh, it's mostly from the original movie, and then the parking lot rumble from Karate Kid 2 is in there. Yes. But there's nothing true. from Okinawa, and this is the first hint we get that... Uh, so this movie is going to write off Okinawa as a big mistake. And and they double down on that quite quickly afterwards. Um, yeah. I wrote down doubling down on previous movie montage. Tom won't be happy. Um, well, it's, you know, I, I, it's, 
I I was I wasn't happy, but I liked again. I like the fact it's picking out the salient information. You know, um, no little boy penis. Um, <laughs> no, tea it didn't reshow. But, it didn't reshow the shower scene. But to me, to me, this series equivalent of boy penis is everything that happens in Okinawa. So the fact that they took that out says a lot to me about where this movie's priorities lie. How dare you? How dare you compare Little Boy Penis with everything in Okinawa? Yeah. That is so unfair to Okinawa. Well, not the not the actual place. <laughs> just the, No, just I mean, even, even, in, in, even in Karate Kid 2 <laughs> terms. That is an insult. You could N- you that could, it is not worthy of. You could lightly edit this podcast and make me look like a a, a total racist. Because <laughs> all I basically said throughout these these episodes is yeah, it was I hate tea ceremonies. <laughs> I hate Okinawa. I Mi- fucking, Mia- Miyagi's a. Con I hate man. his dad. <laughs> Miyagi's a piece of shit. Every. <laughs> That's John G. Avildsen's fault. He made me hate the Japanese. Oh man, that's a great headline. Like a like a John... weekly world news. John G. Avildsen made me hate. Made Japanese. me hate. That's an Onion article. <laughs> oh my god! But I, I, you know, I, I, the other kind of, you know, we're we're sort of we're de facto retconning Okinawa, even though it's still there, uh, because one of the first things we see is Miyagi <laughs> and Daniel getting off a plane from Japan. As Kreese is getting on a plane. I mean, that it's is like insane. It's so fucking stupid. This is LAX, right? That's what we're meant to yes. assume. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a small airport. No, you're right. It is hard to believe that they would they would pass each other so closely in such a big airport and that their plane would land at the exact time that Kreese is to Tahiti is taking that's, off. Yeah. And that's assuming that they'd actually be there at the same time. Right. You know? Right. Um Oh, for fuck's sake. So <laughs> But yeah, but but basically, you know, it's it's trying to it's trying to sort of uh wisely or not circle back to the original movie, that thing that third in the series like to do where they like to pretend that the second movie never happened. That's very common. Mm-hmm. Um, because the second movie, as with this, in most series, is a huge deviation from the original formula. Right. And this is trying to sort of say, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you didn't like that movie. It doesn't matter because we're basically going to pick up. That's why I hate this movie so much, though. So that well, at you least didn't the mind, second you didn't one mind it in the last one. No, well, it's what I like thing. about the last. This, that that they did try to deviate. They did go somewhere else. This movie tries to go back to the original. It's like the cast is, you know, the, the, the band is back together, but it's so inferior to anything else we've seen before and but, everything else we've seen before, including the second one. But they make good on picking up from where they left off. That actually matters in this film. Not, not, not like in part two where we immediately have a time lapse. I mean, yes... It does make it seem as if John Kreese is the main character of this film and then he's put on a plane to Tahiti. But... Right! <laughs> exactly right! But at least... We have like a ten minutes of Cobra Kai down on his luck. I love that. I love that opening. <laughs> Even though, and you know, I'm saying that as someone that, you know, it's John G. Avildsen's Rocky Five shit. You know, he just loves... He just loves characters to be washed up at the beginning of sequels. <laughs> and in this movie, not only do we get Kreese, who's, like, financially and professionally dead in the water, Miyagi is too. Miyagi loses his job. Right. And so it's, like, two two characters who are washed up. And uh, But I just... I love it. It was like uh, the opening of The Incredible Hulk, John Kreese... This taxi driver, you know, this kind of Vietnam vet, lost, with with no purpose, no future. Great, loved it. Well, you was it was hugely disappointing when he got on that plane, and then incredibly exciting when, 
I think I I think th- when he jumped out like a Halloween monster. Oh, uh, I cannot tell you how much I love that because of the <laughs> things it is doing with things we expect to happen in sequels. There's oh my god. Here's the big difference. Okay, for me, you know, obviously it's ridiculous that. He goes to Tahiti, and then occasionally we see him on the phone being massaged by native women. Obviously, that's yes. ridiculous. Obviously, obviously, obviously. But there's a there's an ultimate purpose in that, which he's he's stepping out of the story so he can come back in full force. With Karate Kid Part Two, it feels much more like his inclusion is more of an afterthought, more of a kind of concession to, I don't know, like you know more of a lie that that's what this movie's going to be about. Because even though John Kreese gets on a plane and goes to Tahiti, this movie's <laughs> still about him and occasionally features him. <laughs> oh my God. But you know what? You talk about, you, you with, with the fight in Karate Kid Part 2, you talked about raising the stakes. Mm-hmm. To me, there is no better stake-raising moment in this series than when Terry Silver appears as the successor to the throne of John Kreese. Are you frozen or are oh, you just you're mad on at your me? own? <laughs> yeah. I literally can't you tell are if your screen on... is frozen or you are just you are just enraged. <laughs> that did enrage me. You are so on your own. I have never seen a bigger bunch of Reagan-esque bullshit <laughs> for this character. But not, I mean, he's not the hero. No, there yeah, movie, you're right about that. In the 80s where that guy is the fucking hero. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I guess what upsets me so much is that the the first movie is so grounded. Everything about the bad guys in that movie, like, it looks like Crease is to an extreme, but it's handled so well yeah. with just the simple idea that he's a Vietnam veteran. So take a veteran mm-hmm. who had to lose a war yeah. and then put him in the dojo and, and you know, no mercy, no pain, we're going to win at all costs. You understand why he might be like that. You understand why a Vietnam War veteran would come back and be like that. And then, therefore, you I understand see, I see where you're going with what, why Johnny's <laughs> learning from him. All of that makes yes. sense. Even in the second one, you know, you might at, at it's least... It's very they, grounded. It's too grounded. Yeah, right. It's too grounded. This idea of a grudge for 40 years. I wish, they were, I wish they were a bunch of 1930s gangsters like I was hoping right. they were going to be. But at the very least, that's surrounded by the idea of a different culture and how they view honor. And all of that seems completely, you know, I, I believe it. I don't believe anything in this movie. I don't believe anything. What 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 about for and, and this villain? I have a I have a note here that says, did this did the script say laugh maniacally in the steam room? Did the script say laugh maniacally in the steam room? And John G. Avildsen does that does him no favors, no. Silva, by having like a medium range from below shot of that moment. <laughs> It's not close up. It's not from far away. It's like me. I mean, it looks comical. It's so bad and so over the top. It is very comical, very over the top. There's two two moments, I think. I think it is position. I think you, you're 100% right. I know. <laughs> but I love... <laughs> <laughs> there was no attempt to conceal the fact that he is a villain straight out of Victorian melodrama. Yes. And because I don't think they're going for anything other than that, I think it succeeds. 
I think, you know, when you have a character who has a, who's talking on a gold telephone in a bath. Right. Who bra- <laughs> who, bra- who is always talking about dumping toxic yes. sludge wherever the fuck he, he wants. Is, he, I he mean, is, it's so he over the top. He is more a caricature of a millionaire than Mr. Burns. Yeah. Mr. Burns has more <laughs> dimensions. Yes. And then and then the other thing that really I really love this. I love this so much. Is a uh, scene in Mr. Miyagi's house where he is creeping around the house yeah. and hiding <laughs> in the <laughs> chimney. Yeah. And then what's great about the way that that's done is the next thing we see Terry Silver do is uh appear in Miyagi's garden. And in my mind, mm-hmm. He'd been hiding in the chimney for like the last two days. <laughs> and wasn't actually arriving at the house, but just walking out of the chimney. But he'd been there. The garden. But he is positioned on that level. And it's like, I, I just, I, I enjoyed it because I, I felt like it was all pitched at that level. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. If you look at, as a kind of overview of, uh, you know, some of the more, socially realist parts of the of the karate kid canon then yeah it's a big letdown but i was enjoying it for what i thought it was which is exactly how what you described he is a mustache twiddling top hat wearing villain uh fused with this kind of like um yuppie satire um and uh, it was interesting when you I, i where i thought you were going when you said that you you understood crease but you didn't understand him one of the big things I don't understand is why this millionaire is slumming it to for this revenge plan. For the revenge plot, right. I mean, the millionaire bit explains why he's got the resources to conduct this, uh, you know, Mission Impossible style con <laughs> that mm-hmm. he... That he, <laughs> he that's the thing. What does being poor have to do with his plan? Fucking nothing. It has nothing to do with it. Oh. And yet he treats it as though it's critical. Mm-hmm. I mean... And then you have this moment. He, he you, you just mentioned life, this moment right? where... Well, okay, and that's the other thing. Okay. <laughs> you don't like that either. That what? needs to be, to be just viable, no? Justifiable? What are well, you Chris talking about? Crease is at... No, no, he saved Crease's oh, yeah, life stupid. in Vietnam. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This act, this guy was like a teenager when Vietnam was happening. He like Crease is twenty years older than him. So he, so wait, so Silva saved Crease. There's no fucking way that guy. Yeah, and there's no way that Silva was in Vietnam. So why does he feel like he owes Crease anything? I don't. I you tell me. You like this movie? Surely it should be the. Surely it should be the other way around. Yes. But no, it's Kreese showing up at his doorstep with a bag saying, I quit. Here are the keys. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's such it's such a it's such a deliberate change in in tone and style. Like like you describe handing the keys to Silver is basically saying with we're going with a different kind of villain. The gauntlet's been handed over. Uh, we're doing things differently, and I like I like that. Um... I gotta tell you, I think you're wrong. Yeah, I I, I don't I I don't know how deliberate it was. It's because not, you can't have him hiding in a chimney, and they they take they're not <laughs> taking anyone seriously who's hiding in a chimney and talking on a gold telephone in a bath. That's the fatal mistake of this movie. I think you're wrong. I think they were going. I think they were trying to be as real as the first movie. <laughs> but they had, from what I understand, they they had, like, no script. And I think they were mo- making this movie on the fly. And I think John G. Avildsen, I really think he was trying to make this an honest-to-God villain as opposed to the Snidely Whiplash <laughs> yeah, Snidely villain Whiplash. that we have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know, slightly whiplash is the other. I, I mean, it's just like, fuck, man. Snidely whiplash for sure. Okay, so let's set that aside for a second and talk about what this movie does in in, in the early stages to um, 
Well, it's got a lot of things to deal with. So we know. So Kamiko's not going to be in the movie. Kumiko's gone. gone. The, Daniel's mother, who was not in the last movie at all, oh man, is now only appears. Um, Which, by the way, they also weren't going to do. Ralph Macchio's idea. Ralph Macchio was like, we should at least have a scene. Well, where I we... think it's I think it's the wrong call. I wouldn't have had her in the movie at all. <laughs> I mean, it you know, it's like, but that's just adding another flimsy excuse as to why she's not there. It actually draws attention to the fact she's not there. First of all, they 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 have to they have to explain why she's not picking them up at the airport, and that's because apparently <laughs> Daniel's told her the wrong day. Yes. And then when they do get home, it's like, okay, well, obviously she'd be here now. But I guess as soon as she was like, oh, I, I get, he told me the wrong day. What's that? Oh, I got to go and tend to my sneezing uncle who is sick. <laughs> um, so she, so yeah, that, I, I think that was a mistake. I think that was doubling down on everything no! in this movie is a mistake. Like, having her visually there just, just makes you you know, question the fact that she's not, that we haven't seen his mother since the first movie. And I, you know, and the line, oh, told her the wrong day, I guess, oh, she just said in ADR, because that's how the plot is explained in this movie. In ADR, in mm-hmm. long shot, that's how you explain the plot in this movie. It should have just said, I guess she's abandoned me forever, and just move on. <laughs> She Dear sold Daniel, me. I don't want to see you ever she again. Sold me to you, Miyagi. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are just getting started with Karate Kid Part 3. Obviously, Tom and I are on different wavelengths. We're going to discuss more when we get back right after this. Stay tuned. Can I ask you a question? Do you like beer? I like beer. It's required by law that you like beer when you're living in San Diego, California, but even I can get confused and dizzied by the amount of choices that you can see at your local beer store. What's a person to do? I'll tell you what you do. You'll watch The Vegas Beer Guys, a live show on Instagram and Facebook and they will set you right as to what beers you should have in your life or should not have in your life. The Vegas Beer Guys are brought to you by Dan Aker, the beer professional, and Stephen Weiss, self-proclaimed beer novice. They'll drink beers for you and drink beers with you. Go ahead and check out their live shows, and they'll tell you which beers you should be having in your fridge. Everybody wants the perfect combination of molten hops in your life, and Dan Aker and Stephen Weiss are the perfect combination of fantastic and wonderful. Check them out on Facebook. Check them out on Instagram. Find them. You're going to watch their show and love their show. They give away free merch during their shows. So go ahead and check out the Vegas Beer Guys. What a great time. <laughs> <laughs> we are still laughing. We're still laughing. All right. We're back. <laughs> We're here talking about Karate Kid Part 3. All right. Tom, obviously, I have many problems. I don't know really where to start. Uh, So we've talked about how much I dislike and how much you like the evil characters in this movie. Can we talk about a few other things? I want to know, A, what you think about... The idea of them starting a, a bonsai <laughs> shop. I want. <laughs> I want to know B. What you think of? It's exactly like the second movie where I said like forty minutes of that movie is just them being threatened by the bad guys and them saying we're not going to fight. This movie has like forty minutes of sign the letter. Mm-hmm. Total dog shit. And then I, C. I want to know what you think about. Daniel's new love interest who can't be a love interest because the actor playing the love interest is a child and he's an adult 
And it's only Ralph Macchio that says, guys, I don't think we can do this. Oh, really? You know, Hollywood. Is that how Yeah, Hollywood producers wanted the relationship to happen. And he's like, she's 16, I'm 27 or 28 years old. Oh, is that why she's from Ohio? I think so. Yeah. So we're, we're already, because you get the sense that they've already cottoned on to the fact that Daniel's girlfriends don't survive the end of the movie. Right. They're so just they, they've already put built it in, in at the beginning. They've already built in an escape clause. Yeah. There, which is that she has to go back to Ohio. But it, it reads like, fuck, Daniel is unlucky with the women he meets. None of them live where he does. Right. Well, and also, so in every single movie, like, you know, what happens to Daniel never happens in real life. And it's most egregious in this movie where this 16 year old girl, uh, you know, he's in her pottery shop. And at some yeah. point he's like, well, maybe I'll come by sometime or we can hang out or something like that. And she says, how about tonight mm-hmm. with as much, you know, <laughs> sensual alluring as she can. And then she knocks on his door like an hour later. You know, I came on kind of strong. I have a boyfriend. I'm, we're going to try it again. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's that, uh, you, well, you're going to hate this uh, defense because I know how much you dislike. Go on. <laughs> I know how much you dislike the example I'm going to give. Um, but and, <laughs> it's an, I, I have to admit it's an example that most people do not like. But contra- when it comes to, you know, back-to-back sequels, contrast is important and because I think they're conscious of the fact that Kamiko was an inherently submissive character in a somewhat racist way. Um, and I think here they're clumsily trying to give her a little more agency. Um, not, yeah, success- but... not successfully, and, and with a lot of mixed messages, I agree. But um... He's a grown man and she's 16. <laughs> But and this not. is the problem. I, but this, this is this is, is the, the problem, problem with their again. time. Pr- yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is the problem that they set up for themselves by having, you know. But it's only a year. Yeah, it's having, been less than a year. Right, having five years worth of time in a tw- you know at this point ten month span before we yeah. get to twelve months at the end of this movie. I mean, yeah, this is... And that's the biggest failure of Okin- these sequels. I blame Okinawa for that. Because no. this, is what, this is what we should have been doing. All that time we were sitting drinking fucking tea. <laughs> it would have made total sense. It's not it the second tea. movie's fault that this movie Two decided years, to t- to start when that movie ended. Two years into six months is a lot better than five years into one year. That's that's just math. <laughs> because what this this movie's trying to basically make up for you know the second movie being a complete tangent. An unnecessary tangent. And give us the goods. And it gives us I, the goods then it gives us the goods. No. <laughs> there are no goods in this movie. And you know, even I, here's here's the thing, right? I I, I did not fit apart from I I said what you're saying about the, the the climactic fight in Karate Kid Part Two. It's made clear that you know these two people could kill each other, right? Uh, and and that's how you ramp up the stakes. Yes. But but here, what I like is how they make big action out of little trees. <laughs> that they take this thing as potentially boring and you know like uh uneventful as bonsai gardening and they manage they create an action sequence that's basically cliffhanger out of oh god come on you are talking out of your ass right now you do not you don't like the bonsai cliffhanger sequence you mean the against uh, like they may as well have just you know, like remember, like Star Wars movies with matte painting. You know, like the painting on the glass, that kind of oh, shit. Oh, I thought the blue screen technology was great. I oh, like you're that. very wrong. I thought it looked great. <laughs> I love the fact that you know you were giving such uh, 
dramatic weight to something so, you know, to gardening, gardening essentially. <laughs> and uh, and to follow that up with, you know, the, when when Daniel takes the bonsai tree back to the store, and you know, it's like it, suddenly it's like a medical drama for a few minutes. I love that. I thought, you know, that was why because in the <laughs> second movie they're fucking drinking tea and no one and nothing matters. Nothing's happening. This is making something happen out of something that is very boring. This is having too much happen for people that shouldn't be doing what they're doing. Well, you have yeah, two characters. That's, that's what you have this two teenage. Is. You have two teenagers. One played by a thirty-year-old fucking man, rappelling notice down I have a not, fucking. Notice I have not said that's a good thing. I don't want you thinking. <laughs> I think that's okay. Who are rappelling down the side of a rock cliff? It's ludicrous. He asks, "Have you done this before?" Yeah, kind of, sorta, but not like this. This, they're taking their lives into their hands in ways that are ridiculous. The the bonsai tree is apparently there's enough soil on top of rocks. You can use science to explain anything. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to they say... They are I'm... clearly rappelling down a rock face that's near San Francisco or somewhere in Northern California. <laughs> right. Um, well, I, Japan, Okinawa was Hawaii, so you got nothing on All right, I'll give you that. Um, but <laughs> although I, I like eventually that, you know, they're able to build an, like a, an action sequence out of bonsai gardening, um, I, it is very confusing. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this when this is, this is, I mean, we've, <laughs> this move, this, series is full of bizarre plot turns but no more bizarre than especially having established how excited daniel and daniel's mom are about him going to college he out of nowhere decides he's not going to go to college and he's going to spend his college tuition on partnering up in a bonsai uh store with mr miyagi I mean, Can we talk about this business plan by the way this is the worst idea for a business i've ever heard in my life yeah, and uh, you know, it's, I I I think it's part of Miyagi's overall plan, because remember, we are this. I mean, we talked <laughs> to about dominate this, this young man. Yeah, we we talked about this in the fi- in the in the previous episode with, you know, the mo- the one thing that carries over from Okinawa is the money that right that Daniel wins breaking ice for me for Miyagi. Miyagi gives it to him as college tuition. He takes it here. He's about to spend it on college tuition, but decides instead to invest in a bonsai um, uh, store. Leasing the worst piece of property I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that is, I mean... I very much wanted Miyagi to like look the place over and say, Daniel, Daniel Daniel-san, this place is a fucking shithole. You're an idiot. So, yeah, that's a real... That's a really that's a it's it's a, a strange move. I just don't I don't like you know I I just something about it is very very disingenuous and and uh, also the, like the business should not be that that really is that really is a beaut- you know I've talked to, I I don't necessarily a hundred percent believe Miyagi is you know, outside of trying to make comedy of it. I don't believe Miyagi is working <laughs> against Daniel's interests. But when something like this happens in the story, that's exactly what it looks like. He's yeah. basically he's basically letting him give up his Right. His economic future to support this man of let's face it, hasn't got that long left in his life. <laughs> um and it's just, it seems like something that neither Daniel nor Miyagi would do. Right. And that Daniel's mom, even from the bedside of the sneezing uncle, would not tolerate. She right. She would not let him do this. And That's so, why this movie sucks. No, that's not why this movie <laughs> sucks, because it pays off eventually. But right now, what I'm saying is, because there, I said there are serious flaws in this movie, and this is one of those serious flaws. That this 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 need to have him not go to college at any cost just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. 
because yeah, because it's not true to the characters and also it you know if you're a teenager it sort of sends out the message that college isn't important and it's more important to invest in property and you know i don't like any of that no me either so but i also you know they even get the business model wrong. Like, you don't just sell bonsai trees. Like, have people cutting their own trees in your shop. Like those pottery places where you do your own, you know, you paint your own shit. That's the model. So they even yeah, get that, that wrong. The business model is also based around, as I see it, one single tree. Yeah. So if that tree, anything happens to that tree, they're, they're fucked. Their entire even if you take, over. Even if you take all the bonsai trees that, that Miyagi had in his, you know, at, at his home or in his little shack where he was a handyman, it's like a, it's no more than 20 trees. So this business plan was based on them selling 20 trees and then going out of business, I assume. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It is. It, yeah, it, it's, it's. It's uh, it's a bad idea, but I don't know. It 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 turns into something. It isn't. We're not just watching Miyagi trim bonsai trim bonsai trees like it. It yes. I mean, I guess it it the the business model has to be kind of fragile enough so that that little tree means so much in the plot. It's like a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's their business. It doesn't make any sense in the literal world, but uh, within this movie, which, again, Snidely Whiplash is the villain of this movie, <laughs> of course, it makes sense. You know, we're in, a, we're in an alternative universe here. And what about the, you know, half hour to 40 minutes of trying to sign the letter exposition but again that pays off because they eventually make him do it i don't know what legal weight this paper yeah holds. exactly thank you it I, means I nothing I, just sign I, it no, and look, then no, don't show up but i do wonder I, I kind of I, I i that's that's a fair counter argument but so much in this series is made a fucking honor that signing a piece of paper means, you know, it's like your honor is in question if you renege on that. And even Miyagi would say that. Oh, I don't think so. But yeah, but he's saying he's saying, oh, you know, he would have if yeah, he's got to, he's gotta do sign his name and then renege on the deal. That's dishonorable. What deal? It's not a legal document. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it's dishonorable to make a promise to someone and then and then not deliver. I think Miyagi would say. Of all the shit Daniel better, does, of all the do. shit, of all the, <laughs> of all the shit Daniel does in this movie, this would be the least egregious. This kid climbs down the side of a cliff yeah. without telling Miyagi and digs up his prized bonsai tree, and then fucking kills it. I'm assuming that the way you're talking about the plot of this film, that you don't by this elaborate <laughs> revenge plot that uh, Terry Silver has let's let, let let's not forget biggest bunch of fucking nonsense ever this he is he's working this from both sides he's playing Daniel as this kind of um, this uh, desirable alternative to Miyagi's pacifism uh, while at mm -hmm. the same time getting his students to browbeat him. Um, from the other side, they're pretending John Kreese is dead. Right. <laughs> so Unbelievable. This is this is oh this is what I love about this movie is like the 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 things that happen in sequels when you want to get rid of an actor is everything they do to Martin Cove, but he's still in the movie. <laughs> but he's still in it. <laughs> they they send him off on a plane. Like, t they send him off on vacation, which is one way to get rid of a character, and they kill him off. But yet... Yeah, they double down. He's still in the movie! It's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. I But I just love... I mean, it's... I think... I love that most of your love for this movie is ironical. It's not, it's not ironic. <laughs> I have great... I have great admiration for the follow-through 
on these ridiculous ideas. And, you know, if if this revenge plot had been anything less than, you know, like the movie House of Games in its labyrinthine <laughs> plotting, which it is, it really is. Literally every moment of this con has to work from every angle. And right. we, know, we know that he's got the resources to do it. He's got a gold telephone in his bath. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The plenty fact, of cigars. Yeah, plenty the fact of... that you see every stage of this long con in such <laughs> detail. I mean, that's what I love about it. Is it's not it's 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 ludicrous, but it, it's the detail of it justifies just quite how ludicrous it is. <laughs> I don't. Again, I don't know what his motivation is for doing this, especially after learning that he owes Crease absolutely nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Please explain it to me so that I can understand. Because there's no reason for this man to care this much to go to these lengths. Yeah. There's no reason given in this movie. I think I. I one thing. I, it is one unmotivated. Thing, one thing I appreciate really unironically is, you know, Daniel has a. Basically, the nineteen. This, I mean, we're coming out of the nineteen eighties now. In in, in the, what what year is this? Nineteen eighty eight. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah, we really yeah. are coming out of the eighties. And you know, Daniel, Daniel, and I guess a lot of young young American men. You know, have this dilemma about because Miyagi seems to he represents a kind of pacifism that we associate with you know the american liberal terry silver is pushing you know capitalism and uh you know individual at all costs you know extreme individualism on him and you know pro being basically you know uh pacifism versus aggressively aggressive violence assertive right you have this whole section of this movie that is all stockholm syndrome <laughs> like but you know it, i think that you know it's it's a nice it's a he's basically he's giving daniel an alternative which is sort of the social norm of the time and daniel i think it, i oh i buy it's that completely I buy against that. his character really yeah but don't you think that after a while Every time you ask Miyagi a question, he gives you, like, a Zen saying. You'd be like... You'd be screaming out for someone like Terry Silver. He's like, no, just punch him in the face! <laughs> You'd be like, finally! And, you know, that, and they make it explicitly in relation to the fact that he's growing up in the 1980s. And he's like, this is the 80s. You can't be so passive now. Which, let's face it, is what... You know, it's like family ties. You know, Michael. Well, yeah, it's like Michael J. Fox saying to his parents, "It's like conservatism's a new way. You can't be liberal and pacifistic anymore." Just That's how we got time. to where we are now, sir. Huh? Your fault, because you like this movie, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna take one more break, and when we come back, we'll finish up with Karate Kid Part Three right after this. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, 
you might even see me. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing, arguing, battling over The Karate Kid, Part 3, the 1989 film. All right. We've we've had more fights about this movie than there are in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because here's one thing uh, I really hate about this movie. Oh. Well, one of many. But Jeez. so where's Johnny? Where's Johnny in this movie? The guy that they get for this movie is a poor replacement, bad actor, William Zabka. Mike Bonds? Good actor, yeah. You talking about Mike Bonds? Yes. We all know Mike Bonds. Do we? <laughs> no. no, I, I, he, like, like Terry, you know, when, when Terry Silver. He is a bed, poor man's Johnny. Yeah, he is. But, you know, and, and egregiously so. In, but, I mean, it's not the first sequel we've seen where, you know, we get a character that seems like they should have been mentioned before and seen before and never have. Right. Um,. But also, just from a narrative standpoint, why would Johnny not show up to that tournament? Well, remember, he he was uh, dishonored by Kreese in the... So, um, all the more reason to prove himself. Doesn't need Kreese to win. Well, it takes more than a year to to yeah. when, you're, when you're when you're when you're blackballed by Crease, it's uh... straw catcher. I'm calling yeah. you straw catcher from now on. <laughs> so so we're having you know I just realized that as soon that you know I was I was uh, placing my bet quite heavily on how much I was impressed by the labyrinth labyrinthine structure of this long con that Terry Silver was well, so... was enacting. Right, right, right. And I've just realized that there is a scene <laughs> in the movie where he throws that all away and reveals himself as the villain for no reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm going to give you that. But having done that, it leads to what I think is the best moment in the series, in the sequels. Which is where John Kreese... His oh. Halloween scare? Yeah, he appears from behind a cardboard cutout of himself. God damn it. Do you know what that is saying on a, on like the level of sequels? We've talked so much about about movies like like time that is taken up in sequels <laughs> with people looking at photos of characters who aren't in the movie. And that's essentially what we're doing here because it's a it's a cardboard cutout of a photograph of of John Kreese. Except he is in the movie. But he's behind the photograph. And then he's actually behind it. <laughs> and he jumps out from... Because, I'll tell you what happened here. I'd written down in my notes that he jumps out of the closet. Okay? <laughs> and then while I was going over my notes, I would be like, huh, you know, given what we're talking about with people looking at photos and sequels, wouldn't it be funny if he jumped out from a cardboard cutout of himself? And then I went back to the scene in the movie and I was like, shit, that did happen. I didn't even notice that that happened. <laughs> that is beautiful stuff. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. You are delighting and reveling in things that cannot carry and sustain a whole movie. And then, and then they, you know, like it, it, the... You know what also fails in this movie is... Your reading of it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking goddammit. So... When, when, go, when, go, go. when the baddie of bads shows up in in Miyagi's backyard apologizing for Crease, he's saying <laughs> everything that is actually true about dishonor and what's wrong with him and how he, you know what I mean? <laughs> he I is revealing exactly himself to understand why these things are terrible, and That's... then ignores them all, and hey, then doubles down and makes it let's, worse. Let's... You, you know, that's why that's why Daniel's so convinced by him, because nothing he's saying is not the truth. <laughs> yeah. but, again, we're back but, to David, David Mamet's House of Games. Well, the problem, hey, though, man, because you because I give you because you give you my confidence. No, because I give you my confidence. But there you go. I disagree, because in this movie, he says those things and then shows up at bizarrely a 16 year old dance club. I don't know how many of those there are in the world. Convinces Daniel, puts just enough, enough, you know, juju 
into Daniel to make him punch somebody. Yeah. Then starts training him. Yeah. I want you to bleed. I want to break your foot. I want to crack your knuckles. He's clearly evil in those scenes. So everything that he no. said before is nonsense. And now he is now he is presenting himself as a person with a mask on and Daniel is you know, there's there's no sense from Daniel that uh something's wrong here until he breaks somebody's no, nose. No, I, I I totally disagree. I think I the way you what you just described makes total sense to me that Daniel Daniel would buy into it because of exactly how it's presented. You give him just enough here and just enough there, and then over time, you will get into his head. And let you know, let's he the original idea of Daniel is that. You know, Miyagi shows him what it, what John Kreese really is. But what John Kreese represents is an attractive proposition. Let's not forget. Mm-hmm. And you add on to that Terry Silver, the millionaire. Let's not forget we're now living in a country where people <laughs> voted in large numbers for Donald Trump. Right. Of course he seems like this attractive alternative. And the whole fact that he, that he presented himself to Daniel, not as the, you're not as like, don't listen to this fucking guy who's trying to, um, you know, exploit you. That's a side issue. <laughs> yeah. like, like, don't, don't listen. <laughs> your your problem, the problem, That's what the, the problem with your argument is that I could see him for the snake oil salesman that he is, just like I could see Trump. And Miyagi, and Miyagi does as well. Well, no, no, but you're telling me that this dead. movie is made for but Trump they, voters they, they say <laughs> who couldn't the, find yeah, but him he's out. Not the hero of the movie. <laughs> he's the what I'm saying is that the audience members are now the villains. <laughs> you, sir, are a villain. But the, it's the snake oil. The snake oil that he's pushing is just, you know, uh, the the way that people look. The establishment thought in the eighties. What hurt people? So of course, of course, Daniel at some point would get seduced by that. Completely opposite from his character but it i mean history is not on your side here (laughs) i don't know you see that's the interesting thing i i I purposefully haven't found out where daniel is in his life in cobra kai i mean he's still doing karate which doesn't sound like his life's gone very well um but (laughs) but you know i you, you can foresee a future where you know he 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 succumbs to the the you know social forces that that you know want him to go a certain way the big problem uh, the big problem is and i have said and i've admitted this the big problem is that he's kind of you know he he's in making him an entrepreneur rather than a kid who wants to go to college and contribute to society yeah. um they kind of undo any anti-capitalist message that the film might have right I think that's where it screws itself up, but I, I can, compl- you know, like, he, but there's some really good <laughs> con artistry here, you know. John John Kreese is dead. I buried him last week. He's no longer a threat, and then he pops up from behind the the cardboard cutout. <laughs> it's it's beautifully done. I mean, you know, by that time, and it's real. It's it's uh, the ramping up the stakes, not because we don't think Daniel's gonna win. But that's the other problem. Like, this is the final problem with the movie, though, is this fight, because you have you have the most completely prepared the wrong way. Yeah, it's so stupid. And and Ah. all he has to do at the end is admit to Miyagi that he's scared. It's so fucking dumb. The thing is, with with these is like where, you know, in the last movie, he was in a fight for his life and he's afraid of this fucking guy. But he's, I, I, I like the, so basically, you know, Silver tells him all the wrong things. Which, by the way, is to say nothing of the fact that in this tournament, if you're the champion, you no longer have to fight any fights except the last one. Another bit of ridiculous bullshit in this movie. Hey, you know, the, the Old Valley Championship is, uh, is its own animal. Everything in know. this movie's dumb and bad. 
Everything. <laughs> Everything. Every square inch of this I movie. Really, I really like the fact we had... Again, it was like we had an anti-training montage. <laughs> we had a training montage where he's being trained to do exactly the wrong thing. Yes. He says, now and will then, you train and then, me? And they go back to karate then, yoga. Right, exactly. And then Miyagi's like, uh, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't really know why he agrees to train him. That does seem out of character at this point. Although I did, I like the fact that they were able to use, because Miyagi's sort of like, with everything, he's like, take it on the chin. Mm-hmm. So after Daniel admits that he's been conned and that he's taken the wrong path, Miyagi is like, I forgive you straight away. That's good. Yeah. That's a good piece of writing. Um, and then he immediately says, and now I'm going to train you to fight, which is not good. <laughs> but it uh, doesn't give a reason why. Uh, oh, he, at this point, he's beaten Crease again. Right. And that's what that's another thing I really love, like beating Crease in the previous movie in the in the parking lot. That comes too soon. I think this is exactly the right point in the movie that if you want like a surprise fight that comes out of nowhere that you're not expecting, partially because John Crease is either dead or on holiday <laughs> or both. Um, or both. <laughs> that's just that's like a phone message. John Crease is dead or on holiday or both. Um, that you know that this is actually this is much better done because I didn't see that coming. I didn't think they were going to go full on uh, parking lot rumble rematch at that point, and I was like, "Whoa, this isn't even the main event." Imagine what the main event's going to be like. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. But at least at that point, I thought, "Wow, that's a good move. That's a good thing to pull out of the drawer." At that point. Well, it's funny how much confidence these two terrible men have after both getting the floor mopped with them by Miyagi. Yes, yes, that is. But their whole, their whole, their whole mega maniacal bent is that they're going to evil up the world through Cobra Kai dojos. <laughs> like it's got this real capitalism Republican. You know we're gonna we're gonna soil the world. We're gonna salt the earth with our with our Cobra Kai dojos. Yeah, yeah. He it's he beats them a he beats them a little too easily. I think. Mm-hmm. But I mean that that's the other. But to 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 have anything less than that, you know. I mean, we'll talk in the in the in the next episode about how. You know, Miyagi as a badass is just completely unraveled. But at this point, you know, he's got his unbeaten record of, you know, beating opponents with minimal effort to to defend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it stays intact. And I kind of like that it stays intact, even though it doesn't really make sense with everything else that's going on. I like that there is that consistency of. You know, whatever's going on, nobody's going to lay a finger on Miyagi. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's... Oh, something else that he says that, that doesn't seem to be in character is he says um, the, the key is not to lose to fear. Yeah, it's like... Because this is not explored. Surely you would want to embrace that fear and turn it into... Yeah, that whole idea is not if explored. If, if your whole philosophy is self-defense. Yeah, this whole idea you know? is not explored enough in this movie for this to be the last thing that Daniel has to overcome at the match. Think of all the shit he's overcome in the previous movies. Yeah. You know, in the, in the second sequel, he seems outmatched for a lot of that match. But you can tell that he is... That he has skills. No, he's got a drum. Well, but then he, you know, that's where it goes is he's got the drum fight in order to take take, take Which, care of to, business. To, but And he can tweak his right, nose. But we'll put that aside. I don't think you're doing yourself any in favors this movie, this <laughs> In this movie, he's completely inept. It's not like Johnny or the, the you know, the, the nephew in Karate Kid 2 are any less capable than this guy in this movie. But this guy is presented as the unbeatable, can't-be-touched badass, and to the point where he can both 
take, you know, get a point and take a point away from himself just to torture this kid. And this kid has got skills. This kid should be able to get a point here and there. You know, this whole thing of like going to sudden death. So and then he has to admit that he's scared so he can overcome his fear so that he Mm. can do karate yoga, which which stuns his opponent in such a way that he stops using his karate at all and looks at his masters and is like, what's this? I don't understand. And all it is is just, I, I, I'm moving my hands this way and then this way and next I will do the downward well, dog. And it's so fucking stupid. Ph- philosophically, it makes sense because Terry is all about pumping him up, right? So the way to get, the way to win a fight is to be pumped up. And Miyagi is basically reversing right. that and saying... You need to be as chilled as you can be. You basically need to be meditating out. I understand all of that, but it comes across so as I li- I absurd. Like that we huh? It comes across as absurd. This villain being confronted with with Daniel doing that would not stop. It would not stop him. It's just dumb. No. But I think you break like, you know, I already I've already broke down the second one in the same turn. They're all absurd, you know. They're not. There's You're not, right. The, the, I these, find this one more fights, absurd than the second one, though. So I think that's where defi- we differ. It's definitely. It it definitely has. Uh, well, I don't know what the message of the second one is either. I don't know if it has a message, except none that, of them have a message. None. Well, they do. I mean, you know, it's this. There's always like. There's always one move or one thing that Daniel learns that's supposed yeah. to guide him through, and uh, well, I think that's clear here. I mean, it's not it's not well. It's no crane move. It's not even a drum I mean, move. We're dancing. We're all dancing around the fact that the best way this movie would have ended if it wanted to make its point is for Daniel to lose, mm-hmm. which is something they were prepared to do in the Rocky movies at least once, or a couple of times actually. Right. Three times. Um, but they just seem unwilling to do here. Because uh, Daniel hasn't learned how to accept defeat in any of these movies. That seems a big missed opportunity to yeah. me. Because obviously, given the success of Rocky, the audience will accept. Sure. Him. They're not going to be like... they're gonna, You know, but he never... Lo- you know, he, I mean, anytime he's in danger, Miyagi comes in. We ha- Yeah, another scene that's exactly the same. Where, where Daniel is set upon by a gang of thugs and Miyagi beats the shit out of them all. Mm-hmm. Same thing again. Um, so anytime Daniel's only tested as a winner. Yeah, yeah. Which, which you did. I mean, you know, base sports psychology. Basically, you don't learn anything from continually right. winning. And you, and if and if you have that kind of streak, like someone like you know, Muhammad Ali or, or the likes, you you have no clue what to do when you finally lose. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird that we that we never encounter that problem here, especially as it's John G. Avildsen and, and that was the heart of Yeah, Rob. yeah, yeah. Sure. Well. <laughs> so so you, you admit this is a good oh, movie. Oh, fuck no. No. <laughs> I was hoping to catch you. What are you end. talking about? You're making it... You're you're making an argument for something that doesn't happen in the movie. <laughs> I think I think the overall point I would make is I I think of this as a movie that that doesn't mess around when it comes to everything it's trying to do. It gives you a crazily uh over the top villain. Its symbolism is like, you know, you could it, it's so on the nose in everything it's trying to do and it completely eschews reality I'll say and in you're absolutely right that in in light of the rest of the series that's a that's a problem but I feel I felt like it did enough on its own terms to make it a hugely enjoyable uh diversion and and you know more interesting and compelling as a story than the previous movie which essentially had no story that I can... I think everything this movie tries to do, it does messily. Not everything. Yes, everything. And is 
but not me- messiness grounded, is it's part not of, grounded. It's mis- it's part of the fun. Is the messiness of it? I I don't find anything in this movie fun. I think that the second movie is like is it's 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 like a monk. It just wants to pull all the pleasure and life out of everything and make you endure rather than enjoy. And this movie is just sort of like, you know, this is like, it's like the card. It's literally the cartoon version of the Karate Kid. <laughs> if they were to make a cartoon series of the Karate Kid, they could probably use this story to start it with and you wouldn't miss a beat. I think everything uh, that's bad about this movie is what's bad about America. Like this <laughs> I thought you were going to say well, what's, everything that's bad about this movie is what's bad about this movie, which is also true from your point of view. What's bad about America? But th- but then there's a lot of thing. I granted it's 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 it mixed messages. Daniel giving up college screws up everything. But don't you think Terry Silver's supposed to be like a critique of capitalism? Not a very good one, but I mean. Absolutely, it's it's right. So that's wrong. It's wrong to. Are you saying it's wrong to criticize capitalism? Are you saying it's (laughs) un-American to ask questions? I'm saying that character is ugly. This movie is ugly. It is unconscionable to me that you would undermine public (laughs) confidence in capitalism. Sorry, go on. Uh, I have nothing more to say. I don't even want to talk about this movie anymore. It's a fucking mess. I can't believe it affected you so. Oh, I hate it. Everything about do you, do you it. Do you have a? Do you have a? Do you have like a one of those traumatic stories associated with it that you normally? Yeah, have? having watched it. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I, I have. I just have this feeling that I want to. I want to dig dig deeper and see if like was there some like ex girlfriend you associate with this movie? Oh no! Did you have no. an ex girlfriend in Columbus, Ohio, who was a it's potter just or something that... stupid? No, it's just, it's just no. dumb. Everything because... about it is dumb and bad and like like what I don't like about movies where it's you know. This I I I don't think this movie is as purposeful as you think, and that's why it offends me. I think this movie was trying to be something else and was accidentally all the things that you like about it. Well, that's a strong possibility. As I said, you know, <laughs> na- narrow majority making it a good movie, so that leaves a lot of possibilities on the table. One is that it's just a complete uh, a complete misfire that that happens to me to be hugely enjoyable because. Because uh, I like the twist it does on this kind of sequel. I need Ralph Macchio to call in. Let us know what was going on with this fucking movie, and then Tom and I can settle this bet finally. Well, he won't be happy. He won't be happy. We haven't seen Cobra Kai. <laughs> we'll watch it. That's it for the Karate Kid Part Three. Let us know what you think. Is Tom right or am I right? Whew. Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on Facebook, and tell we us on Twitter. We haven't even got to the worst movie in the series. We're not even yet. done with this fucking series yet. Oh, <laughs> Moving on to you, the next Karate Kid. All right, for Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions, I'm Mike Shaws from the How Dare You Awards. Stay tuned, everybody. The next Karate Kid is next. Take care. See you next time. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>